that's the secret code to life. Mm-hmm. Like that, that solves all your problems. Knowing the right question to ask is going to get you the answer that you need. This is your Badass Journey podcast. I am Karine Walsh, serial entrepreneur, growth strategist, executive leadership coach, and best-selling author. Each week, I will bring you a guest or a thought that will help you align what you love with what you do in order to build that badass life and business you dream of. Welcome, everybody, to your Badass Journey podcast. Today on the show, I have such a special guest. His name is Jeremiah Campbell. Jeremiah and I met in uh, Chris Harder's For the Love of Money mastermind, which you know I'm a part of. And it has been such an honor to uh, to just be able to share just a small piece of Jeremiah's journey with you on today's show because it has completely inspired me and motivated me to continue to go down the path of helping others get aligned with what they love and do it every single day. Jeremiah's journey is one of of happy upbringing, then stumbled into serious drug addiction. And it took about a few attempts to try and get clean before he finally had his aha moment, which he shares with you today on the show, and literally resulted in building a multi-million dollar business in Michigan. And he is literally living his true vision of the life he desires with his family, with his wife, with his kids. And it is such an honor to be able to share his story with you because I know it's going to inspire you to realize that what you truly want when you have the focus, when you have the determination, and especially when you have the faith that it can happen, that you can create it. So as you get inspired or or even if you have aha moments from today's conversation, we'd love to hear from you. Jeremiah is one of the most generous people I have met and he is so heart-centered and he literally leads his team in a way that makes sure everybody wins, not just his clients, but also his team as they grow. And he's not the only one making money in his business. His generosity spreads through all And I know you're going to learn something from today's conversation. So I hope you enjoy it. And I look forward to hearing from you in your reviews and your posts as you listen today. Really appreciate that connection and interaction. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to your Badass Journey podcast. I'm so excited for today's guest because his journey is something you need to hear as also connect with him. Welcome, Jeremiah, to the show. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. It is so awesome to have this time with you. And the way I love to kick off the show is for you to first share a little bit about your background, your true badass journey of how you got to where you are today. And so you can start as far back as you'd like, but really this is your time to kind of paint the picture of what you've had to go through to get to where you are. Wonderful. So... Uh, I'll be 33 next week. Uh, I've been married for eight years, uh, two kids, five and uh, a year and a half. Uh, my journey started, of course, from from birth, and uh, I was just—I grew up in the Midwest. I saw, I live probably 15 minutes from where I was born and raised, 
So very local in Southeast Michigan. And uh, I was raised in a very, very... I call it a normal because that's all I knew. Household where my mom and dad loved each other and beat each other up. And uh, they were dysfunctional. Uh, I come to find out later that it was a lot more dysfunctional. Uh, but then when people really get to talk to you and understand it, it's not everybody's the same. So I was raised Catholic, um, baptism, communion, confirmation. I never knew God, anything about him because I wasn't interested. I just, I was forced to go. Somewhere along the way, um, I started to feel less than. So as a little boy, I always wanted to be somebody else. I wanted to be uh, like the kid up the street. I never had the nicest bike, which I did. I just never felt it. I never felt... I, I would get really happy or I'd be really sad. There was no middle of the road for me. It was always all or nothing. Um, in hindsight, I was realizing that was the uh, addictive, the ism in me, the, the addict in me was uh, well before I ever picked up drugs and alcohol. So along, along the journey, uh, I was probably 12, 13, 14 years old, which was normal in my area to start smoking marijuana, um, doing a little pills partying in school, and I, it quickly spun out of control. So I got chemically dependent on... I was an IV heroin user for five years from... 17, 18, up to, yes, to 21 when I got sober, five inpatient treatment centers. And then, uh, you know, I've been sober a little over almost 12 years now. So my journey from who I was, where I am now and where I'm going and what it looks like is, is, is basically three different lifestyles, three different life times all combined into a, a very short period of time. You know, it's an, it's an, a Amazing personal journey. And if you don't mind, I'd like to ask, what were the moments that helped you decide to go into rehab or help you do some of the inpatient treatments to to get clean, I guess is the right terminology. So everybody's story is a little bit different. And for this guy, me, he, I, I just, <laughs> I, uh, I really struggled with always trying to fit in and drugs gave me a way to feel part of, even though it disconnected me. So some of the moments that I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, I had the things I had to do, the lying, cheating, stealing, it just got too unbearable. I was the guy that would get high that would preach to other people about why they shouldn't get high. And like I would be and they would just be like, man, you're such a buzzkill. And I'm like, no, there's more to this. Like this can't be life. And I would like come alive for a minute there, and then I would just be down. So um, the drugs for me stopped working. Hmm. So I couldn't get high enough to mask the pain about how I really felt about myself. But when you're chemically dependent, there's such a fog in your mind that you can't see things as reality. So your personal, your your reality changes to the point where. Um, the people you hang out with, the things that you do becomes normal. The desperation, the feeling of uselessness and self-pity, it, you, you bask in it. And it's almost, it's just, it just becomes normal because it's so prevalent. And then the people that you affiliate with, it just, it's, it's normal. And then as most humans do, I just, I would compare like, at least I'm not doing that. And then two weeks later pass and I'm doing that. At least I'm not acting like that. At least I'm not breaking into stores, or at least I'm not robbing old ladies, or at least I'm not. And then all of a sudden, that becomes you. So it's it's in the moment where you just you know that there's no other way out. You can either take your life, or you can change. And and it's that moment in your gut and in 
most recovering addict alcoholics that feel it in their gut, they'll know. I call it the, the gift of desperation. And, it, and it's a moment in time where you know you have to make a choice. And you can't make it alone. So my understanding and comprehension of the word addiction or addict is an obsession of the mind that overpowers the body. So if I don't have a choice in my mind because the addiction has a grip on me and I can't change, what's going to do that? And, and then it comes down to getting on your knees and praying to source power. I call it Jesus, but you can call it whatever you want. And, and just getting down to the point where I can't do it Something or somebody else has to come into me and, and something has to change in me because I'm broken and I can't be fixed. Yeah, that's that's a beautiful um, awakening for you to have that awareness in that moment that you lean into something greater than who you feel you are in the moment in order to tap into your true high energy, even at your lowest points. And and it does come from an outside source. I believe that 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 um, God source, Jesus is that. If that's what you know. You refer it to, uh, breathes into us every day. It becomes the awareness of whether or not we're listening, and also want to accept it. And so, in those moments, what was your surrounding at the time to then actually take the step to go get help or, or take the step to say that is not enough out of that desperation? How did you then step into something else? Oh my gosh, that's a lot. So <laughs> the, it, you'd have to, each, each time was a different, a different season of my life. So I've been inpatient treatment five times. Thank God uh, it was only five. So when, when a drug addict or an alcoholic first, I had to realize it was me that had a problem. And then once I realized it was me that had a problem, I, I had to say, is it worth doing something about? And, and, and the reason it took me the first three treatment centers is I thought that I could just become the person that I was before I ever started using drugs. Mm-hmm. So they they classify a drug addict or an alcoholic in different categories as, as far as like somebody you know the one that uses every single day the one that uses um, when they start to use they can't stop things like that and, and and no matter what it is a phenomenon of craving takes place within an actual drug addict or an alcoholic and and I I I'm just for your listeners I'm referring to it it's all an addictive personality I call it addiction. Um, no matter what it is, you can use it as as food, as pornography. I mean, whatever it is that you're fighting and struggling with, I look at it as whatever's consuming my thought process on a moment to moment basis is what I'm obsessed about. Mm-hmm. So to be in each specific moment, I remember the last time I went to treatment. It was um, I was in a car that somebody let me. I had no driver's license. I had no. I, I and just I stopped before because I knew I was going to back to treatment. And I stopped and I pulled over on the side of the road, and I remember just praying to God. Because I had a lot of these moments where in the depth of my soul, I knew I would never use drugs or alcohol again. And then I'd catch myself driving down to the city and I'd be crying behind the steering wheel, just just turn around, turn around. And I, and I physically could not turn the car around because the addiction had the hold on me. Or it, it, was, it was virtually... I remember, I, I remember calling people and saying, I can't stop the car. I know what I'm going to do and I don't want to do it. Mm. And then I remember just just sitting on the side of the road, opening the door and just vomiting out of the side of the door for no reason before I ended up using drugs. Mm-hmm. It was just vomiting out the side of the door, just, just, just pure sickness and just complete desperation of knowing 
that I could not stop even if I had a choice, that something has a hold on me so tight that nothing, no loved ones, no person, no family, no nothing could ever get me to turn that car around. And then what happened next? What happened next is I went to treatment. It was my fifth treatment center. Um, and and um, I, remember, I remember talking to the CRT and, and I, I've always, I've always, so most people are hopeless dope fiends is what they call them. And then you want to be a dopeless hope fiend is what mm. you want to turn to. And um, that's just a cliche that they always told me. And, and for me, it was getting my life together enough that I could be proud of myself again. So looking back, to everything, even as a, as a young young kid, I was always I always do things to impress people, mm-hmm. and and ultimately all I want to do is impress myself. So it takes, and especially with my daily practice today, it takes a lot for me to to impress myself. I, I can't stay in the in the in the feeling and abundance of gratitude in my heart and in my soul without doing things that I call average every single day. Um, so, so the person that I was when I went to rehab, it was I was completely broken. I didn't know who I was, where I wanted to go. I was not on no mission. All I needed to do was not be. So they call it being dope sick. If anybody's ever been chemically dependent on any kind of painkiller or any type of uh, chemical dependent alcohol, no matter what it was, um, it's like sugar. It's like if anybody's ever kicked sugar, mm-hmm. you know how hard that is for the first couple of days. Like you're you're literally drawn to the fridge, and it's and it and it's making sense of not going to the fridge because you know what the you know what once you have one drink, one drug, one skittle, one mm-hmm. cookie, it never stops with one. If you're addicted to it, it never stops. So it's like, where am I going to go with this? Where am I going to go? So it's a lot of self reflection, and then you're physically sick. So I'm like, okay, okay, Jeremiah, where is this going to go? Like, and I remember journaling because they're like, you got to journal. And I'm yeah. like, I don't know what that means. Like, I can barely read. Like, what do you mean? And they're like, journal, tell me how you feel. And I'm like, I feel like crap. Like, what do you mean? They're like, well, no, you really got to dig deeper than that. And that's when I started my journey into self-development was in a treatment center saying, okay. And I, would, I remember literally writing, who is Jeremiah? And I'm like, I don't know who I am. I've, I've always used other people's identity of who they thought I was. And then I was like, okay, if I could just live up to this point, then I can become a guy that's loving and free. And then I'm like, okay, cool. And then I was under this delusion that one day I was going to wake up with 2.2 kids, two nice cars, marriage, white picket fence, everything. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. There's no, there's no guide or there's no like threshold in life where it's like, okay, now you're an adult. Like I miss that part of life, like where somebody's like, "Oh, like now you're going to become responsible." I'm like, "What? What do you mean? Like this doesn't make any sense." Like, th- there's got to be some kind of pamphlet or handbook or something. And my and I had the most magnificent parents I could have ever asked for to to, to provide me and protect me and to do these things. But I never understood that. So, um, you know, my fifth treatment center was was when I really started to look at myself to become an adult. Uh, and, and where was I going to go? And was I going to be a loser? And was I going to be another statistic? Because statistically, it's under 0.2% of people ever achieve more than five years of, of freedom from heroin, over, from heroin. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing too where you, where you are today, 12 years later, after starting that self-development journey, after taking your life really back into your own hands to dial up who you truly are without 
the chemical imbalancing that the drugs create for you. That is such a beautiful moment of awareness, clarity, work. But I know it takes a shit ton of discipline for you to sustain it. You know, to run your business that you have today, to live the life you have with your family. So let's fast forward a little bit and tell me like, what did you start to incorporate as your self-development practice that then got you into the business you have today and, and living the family life you have now? Share a little bit about that journey when you came out of that inpatient program. Fantastic. So yeah, it does. It takes... so. A lot of meetings, a lot of 12-step meetings, a lot of um, writing self uh, self-reflection, a lot of journaling, a lot of um, inventory of who I am, the wrongs that I did, how to make amends to those. Um, and, and what happens is, is I just followed a simple program that somebody laid out in front of me. They're like, here's the rules to life. Pay your mm-hmm. bills. I'm like, oh, that's those things that come in the mail? I'm like, yeah, okay, let's pay those. Um, <laughs> let's let, let, let's um, not lie, cheat, or steal anymore. Oh, okay. Okay. So my life immediately got like significantly better. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was still in the point of my life that I wasn't able to get a job. And this was 07, 08, right before the, the, the market crashed and everything went to craziness. Um, and, and what happened was I, I met a guy, a young guy, and he's like, Hey, why don't you come to work with me tomorrow? And, and this guy, his name's Ken. And uh, he, he implanted the seed of entrepreneurship in me. And he said, why don't you come to work with me? And I didn't know... At this point, I had no idea anything about masonry. So I'm a mason contractor um, in, in Southeast Michigan. We do repair, restoration work, foundations, mostly residential, commercial, light, industrial. And uh, we do multiple million dollars. Um, we, we, we did, uh, we've blown up. We've, we've been in business for 14 years because I was in and out of treatment for a couple of years. So 14 years, I've been doing what I do now. So the, the, the aspects of personal development were, literally the same exact set of principles that I had. So I don't have a choice on a daily basis to live with resentment, anger, fear, depression, self-pity, anger. I don't, I don't have that luxury being a person in recovery. I can't be afforded those. So my, my journey of becoming a person of recovery runs completely parallel with being a person in personal development. Mm. In a person. So people think about it in the last 24 months since I really stepped into my personal development journey. Um, I realized I don't run a masonry business. I run a human development business. So I, my, the, my direct success in my business, my family life is how I can pour into others on how they can achieve and see their own greatness. So as I create leaders in my, so early on, it was just making sure I wake up before. Eight o'clock. Making sure that I make sure I go. I go to talk to certain people in my tribe or in my circle of people that want good for me. So early on, it was being around, not being around. They call them haters. Not being around people that had limited beliefs on themselves that pushed them onto me. And some of those people were very close to me. Some of those people were in my immediate family, my bloodline. Mm-hmm. That I had to cut out of my life because they said, "Don't start your own business. Go work for the union. Don't." Go buy that house because you're going to be house poor. Don't go buy that new car because you don't know what next season is going to bring you. Don't. And I just, I started, you know, it all started like, uh, you know, thinking grow rich. And I'm like, no, wait a minute. I don't have to think that way. Mm-hmm. And that started the whole mindset shift of I'm enough. I, I'm living my highest life. 
I'm living my highest version of myself. And these are my mantras that I say to myself every day still to this day. I say, I deserve more. I deserve better. So just just developing leaders in my business, in my day-to-day lives with the people that I coach, the people that I work with, the, the, my family, my wife, my children, making sure at the end of the day that I've given them more value than I've taken away from them is, is really where I like to be. Because then when I'm able to provide other people more value, and then it takes me out of my own problems. I have big problems. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I, I love having big problems. That means I'm continuing to progress in my life. Yeah. You should never know about my problems. Because I should always be more concerned about yours. And then my problems are diminished. Interesting. And then as you need to then face your own problems, what's your perspective in asking for or having people show up for you in those moments? In those moments? Oh, gosh. So Dean Graziosi always says, he says, uh, if, you can cut a, if you can cut a check for a problem, it's no longer a problem. Mm. So getting to the right people, and I'm not saying money is going to solve any problems, I, getting to the right people. So like I, I discussed with you with uh, EOS and Traction, yeah. um, somebody handed me that book. It was an $11 book and they handed it to me and they said, Jeremiah, you need to read this book. And so I read the book and it completely changed my life, con- completely changed my business, my accountability to myself, to my family, to my team. Um, and just when, when, I, when there is an issue, I'm humble enough to go ask for it. I, I, I don't know how to do this. Will you help me? And then not knowing all the answers. Like, I never want to be the smartest guy in the room. I'm in the wrong room. Yeah. I, I never, so, so when, I have, when I have an issue, I have to really look at the issue. So, just like, uh, you know, my wife and I, we were working on a deal since August and, and, our, and our dream home, and we closed on it yesterday. <gasps> Congratulations. You told me about that home. I'm so excited for you. <laughs> That's amazing. So today I had to go do the paperwork. Like I had to go like turn the paperwork into the assessor. And he's like, oh, by the way, your taxes are going to go up to like mm-hmm. twice as like just ridiculous. And I'm like, so that that's a, that's a, that poses an issue, right? I'm like, okay, so how am I going to think about this? I stopped. I didn't put any meaning on the moment. And I said, okay, now I just need to go figure out how to make more money to pay for this, to make this big bill that I have now seem smaller. So my mindset now is how can I help more people with bigger issues? Yeah. And then I say, okay, so did this, ha- this problem happen to me or did it happen for me? If I pay this bigger tax bill, like, I mean, it, it literally, this tax bill as much as my first house that I bought. And it's just property taxes on this. And instead of getting upset and worried and concerned, my mindset now is I, I refer in default to all the mentors that I have and I, that I still have that say, it's not an issue. It's a, it's a solution. It's, a, it's, so I just got to frame the way I think about things. And it's all about my perspective. Yeah. If it's a big problem, then it needs a bigger solution. Yeah. I like to, I like to frame it in the value exchange. I, I don't know if you've, you've had a chance yet to grab my book. But when, when I put it together, um, I realized that a lot of the stories of the folks that come to me, it's, it's always when they're talking about their problems. And I'm using my quotation hands for those people listening. But it's, it's really like... They are always concerned about their problems, not the solutions that they could provide others and create an equal exchange between that. And that's the value exchange I feel like we all are in, especially when we're in need, but also when we have something that we could serve others with. 
And I always, I had to, because I'm, I'm very much like put everything on my own shoulders, do it myself, serve others, serve others, serve others. And it took me a long time to learn how to ask and realize that in that asking, even going to the great folks that have gone before me, the value that they see when someone comes to them and asks for help is actually what lights them up the most. And I had to realize that that the value of me sharing my problems, sharing when I was in need, asking for the help and creating that exchange was the most beautiful relationship I could build with anyone. And then it also created this exponential impact across all of those that I pay it forward with. Like my learnings, I pay it forward with. I'm always learning from someone else and I will share it with the next, you know? So I love that that is how you lead with the servant heart, heart centered. How else can you assist others? How can you help them grow? And also when you hit that marker of, oh my gosh, I'm about to go through this crazy growth spurt, but I know there are people out there that have gone before me that I can go learn from, invest in, get the right coaches, get the right team of advisors, go into the right service structure to really build that solid foundation to grow from. And and I think it's really great for listeners to hear this because there are people listening who are struggling. And there are people listening who feel like their problems are unsolvable, which is never the case when you look outside yourself and go ask for that help which I love about your journey because it's also what's helped you get to that next level in what you're going after. So tell us a little bit about your business structure. And you know, I know you have like a restructuring or you, you kind of went through some change there too over the years. So how did you come to build this business that you own today? Awesome. Awesome. And, and what you said about the value exchange, that's the secret code to life. Mm-hmm. Like that, that solves all your problems. Knowing the right question to ask is going to get you the answer that you need. And, and oh God, that was so beautiful. I love that. And I, I am going to get your book and I'm going to read it. That's, that's so yes, yeah, so my business, I'm not an entrepreneur at hand. I, I literally, I'm a craftsman. I learned how to do something and I'm like, I can do this better than you. So let me go out and do it on my own. And that's what I did. And mm-hmm. then people always told me that I have. You know, that I should be in sales and all this since I was a kid. Um, and I can see it, my son now, just his, he doesn't take no for an answer. And he's just like, well, and he this just, it's, it's, it's almost a form of continuing to change. Just so I'll watch how he goes through and creates. Like I'll say, well, you can't do this. And then just, so I got into sales. And, and as I continued to get into sales, was I, I realized that I could just duplicate myself. So I started to bring guys in to my company because I would just go out and do the sales. And this was back in 2007, 2008, and then into 2009 where I would go in and do these different... Let me tuck point your chimney. Let me do this little repair, little repair. So I was just a, literally a craftsman in, in, in the back of a Cavalier and then eventually into a small pickup truck. So then I started bringing people into my company as we grew. And then I would do estimates half the day and then the front, and then install the other part of the day. And then I eventually built up to where I, I was a salesman only and then I had three to four people underneath me. And then people are like, how do you do payroll? And I'm like, what's payroll? And they're like, how do you pay your guys? I'm like, oh, I don't I just pay them cash. Like, what do you mean? Like, this is... Like, I love it. Yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? So then, so then they're like, oh no, you need like payroll set up. Like, go talk to this person. And then I was open-minded enough to where I like, they're like, you need an accountant. And I'm like, I don't know what an accountant is. What's an accountant? Mm-hmm. 
So then I, and now fast forward and I continue to slowly progress. And I remember like five years in a business and, and I was probably doing like 500,000 in gross revenue. And they're like, first off, I didn't know what gross revenue even meant then. And they're like, they say to me, they say, um, you need to get an accountant and you need to, what's your gross revenue numbers and what's it? And I'm like, I, I know none of this. So, so I, I literally just continued to duplicate myself and duplicate myself until about just over about a year and a half ago. I, um, and then we got up into the multiple million dollar marks and, and we had teams of 60 and then I had management staff and I had different, these different things. And I never put, I've never been a title person. Mm-hmm. So it was, I was in charge and then you just had to listen to me, but I, I was always <laughs> afraid to put stuff in writing. Cause if I put something in writing, then I couldn't change my mind. And then mm. nobody ever told me they're like, you're the, you're the owner, you're the entrepreneur. You can do whatever you want. Like you can fire everybody today if you wanted to. And I'm like, but no, these are my friends. So then, uh, about a year ago, I, I, I joined a, an elite level group and I started sharing more about my business. And they're like, Oh, that's really cool. You're a franchise. And I'm like, No. <laughs> they're like, No, no, seriously, you're a franchise. And I'm like, No. And this guy's like, Have you ever read Emith? So then I opened up Emith and then uh, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm a franchise that gets no royalties and that takes all the responsibility and does not keep anybody accountable. And at the same time, somebody gave me the book Traction with EOS with Gino Wickman. And I started reading it and I'm like, I know that company and I know that company. And I'm like, wait a minute. So then I started digging more and more. And that book was written like 20 miles from where my office is. Wow. So then again, I started just like typing in these and finding these people on Facebook and Instagram. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I'm like, so then I started reaching out to these people and they're like, Hey, like that, that's me. And they're like, and so in traction, they have a level 10 meeting. And so as, as I grew my business and then I saw, so in, in the book, they talk about accountability charts instead of organizational charts. Yeah. So I write this down and then I write down all these seats and all this key functions and all this stuff in my business. And then they, then you put the names in after and I'm like, Oh my, I'm like, I do everything. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what's going on here? This doesn't make any sense. So then I started like keeping track of it. And, my, and another guy in the group was like, Hey, what's your cash flow chart look like? And this was in September. We did uh, several multiple millions of dollars last year. And he says, what's your cash flow chart like? If I'm being honest with you, I still to this day have never seen a cash flow chart. Hmm. So I'm continuously learning. And they're like, how do you yeah. do that? I'm like, my accountant, I pay my accountant to come in here and she balances my books. And that's how it goes. So what, what, I'm do, what I do now is I, it's almost death by numbers. So if you're familiar, we have a scorecard. And we have an accountability chart, and we have ex- we have a, we have a growth chart and an accelerated growth chart. When we hit certain KPIs, we know exactly where we need to be, how many people we need to run that staff, and what our website, what what our cost per lead acquisition, and we we started hiring the right people for the right seats, holding them accountable, so where we can rapidly grow and great create. So my ultimate goal is to create opportunities for my team members. To reach their true potential, whether it be monetary or awards, or I mean, the core value contest or the the vacations we send people, whatever it may be, that they might hit their maximum potential. Yeah, and then the and as you, the best way to expand is when you invest in others to learn and grow as far as they can go, because then you're always reaping the benefits of their, you know, their growth. Really, especially and 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 if it is, I don't know. Have you officially franchised what you're doing, or you're just leveraging the franchise model to expand the growth of your business? So we're actually not a franchise, but I paid some of my top level guys like we were. Oh, great. Yeah. Yes. So now we restructured and people get paid 
based upon numbers. So yeah. we, uh, we have numbers. Uh, everybody's tracked by different numbers and depending on how they do. So I believe in a healthy organization, everybody needs the opportunity to make more money. Yeah. So my my anybody from from the ladies in my in my office answering the phones, they have an opportunity to make progressive amounts of money every single week, depending on if they hit certain KPIs or if they're able to. When we do financing for people, if they do a certain type of financing that saves us money, they get rewarded because of it. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. It's a it's an enhanced performance reward system that really. Sounds like it ties into what they deliver against, but everybody's incented the same way. So, because I've seen a lot of sales organizations that only the sales team is, is the group that actually makes commission, and it actually breaks down because a lot of the times, at least when I'm when I get called in, my consulting side of of what I run is really to come in and recover. Like I'm like I'm like the closer. <laughs> like they they call me to be like, can you come help us clean this up because we should have structured it different in the first place. It is a lot of the front line selling what cannot be delivered against and also not thinking about that back end team that actually has to do the work. And what I love about your journey is that you did the work first. You did it to not only um, make money for yourself and just get above board uh, for what you needed, but then you started to lean into curiosity to find out what are the best methods out there that align with who you are as a leader. Because I think that's the number one representation of your business is how you choose to lead it. And I love that you actually integrated a performance plan for everybody that works for you across your team and so that everybody is growing. It's so beautiful, Jeremiah. And, and I'm really glad you got to share that aspect with our listeners because you, you will exponentially continue to grow leveraging that model. I love it. There's, there's no other way. I mean, because it's funny because the sales, it's just the way of life. Sales staff are always paid the most. Yeah. So my salesmen get to dress nice, wear collared shirts, and drive nice trucks. So years ago, I'm like, well, I need to at least get my installers brand new trucks. So my, so we have the coolest fleet. Like we, we literally get jobs based upon like people will see us and they're like, you guys have to do the best work because you have the most awesome trucks. Like, so I take great pride in my vehicle fleet that we have for my installers. So that was like number one. Then I'm like, wait a minute. Like I can, I can usually replace a salesman faster than I can somebody that knows how to install. So the more complicated the project is, the more complicated, the more skilled my staff has to be. So I'm like, why is this? Why is this? And this was all my restructuring because I'm like, my guys at the top are doing the least amount of work, making the most amount of money. Mm-hmm. And why do these guys that are out here? Because I'm literally buying these guys for nine months out of the year. My guys work 50 to 70 hours a week, depending on the weather. Mm. They, they literally sell me their entire summers. The entire summers. And I'm like, they need to be rewarded for that. And I'm like, the problem is, is these guys up top are making too much, including me. So I'm like, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. And I need to make sure that the guys in the field are capable and able to make six figures. Yeah. Which pushes us above the union. Of course. Yeah. Now we're pulling people back from the union because I used to lose guys to the union. Of course. It was a pendulum and there was no way for my guys that are actually producing the revenue in the operations to actually be able to make enough to where it made sense. And there was no way to grow the way my organization was. 
So when I restructured, I said, well, if you are an installer, like this gentleman, Kevin, that works for me, he's been with me for about six years. He's 57 years old, in the way, or 58. And when the way my business was structured before, there was nowhere for him to go. Mm-hmm. Now he's in an office because he knows all of my installers. And now he's capable and able to do all the scheduling. Yeah, that's beautiful. And now I'm like, Kevin, you're stuck. You're, you, you're going to die here. Like, like, I hope it's 50 <laughs> years from now, but like, you're never going anywhere. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. He's become so valuable. So valuable. And then it, what it does is it gives hope. Yeah. So it's one thing to be a leader, but I, I'm talking about leading from in the front. Like, I help the guys load trucks in the morning. I walk around high five. Like, like I, I'm a very congruent. Like, I have to be with my guys. Like, there's no thing like hiding from them. There's no like, I want to have those tough conversations and I want to do those. And, and when I get uncomfortable, that's where, that's where the growth happens. Having those hard conversations, being able to look somebody in the face and say, no, that is the best possible job that you can possibly do. And then saying it with such conviction that you know you're right. Yeah. And providing a, a good quality, honest product where my installers are able to take their families on vacation. And my guys that are starting off as tenders, they have a place to go. So when people start with me at my company and I say, this isn't a job, I want this has got to be a career for you. That's beautiful. It's fun. I mean, it's such a blessing. Well, and it's also so so needed in the industry you're in because there's such burnout that occurs. Um, and and also the hopelessness can show up for some of these folks that are busting their butt, you know, doing amazing work and not necessarily being recognized for it. And that's, you know, transcendent into any industry. But I definitely see it more, especially in the labor-intensive industry of trying to cut corners, trying to like rob Peter to pay Paul across jobs, and like make sure that you know the the work kind of gets done. And then you have disgruntled clients, and I mean, it's just I love that you're disrupting the space and creating a way for people who are really passionate about what they're doing, but also realize they have a life. And they want to grow and they want to go into what's next and they want to build a career and they want to sustain their family. And they don't want to have to jump from company to company or, or, or feel like they're, they're shackled because of their skill set. That hope that you provide is just so... It's, it's really inspiring, but it's also so needed in any industry truly, but especially the industry you're in because I've seen the other side of it I, I literally, even going through like remodels in my own spaces, etc. I've never been so angry and so red. Like no one really ever gets to see that side of me because of the lack of follow through. The words that don't that don't meet the actual work. The ability to to I felt like I just I don't know. I just felt really taken advantage of. So I love that you're leading in a way and making sure that your whole team leads in a way to serve the client base that you want to be happy so you can continuously grow but also serve. I mean it's just so beautiful and I love I love that you're leading your business that way, Jeremiah, and that you're sharing your journey from a place of your heart um, and letting your team in. So many leaders forget to do that. And then they wonder why they feel so uncomfortable when they lay their head down at night, even if the numbers are hitting the numbers they want, but they're feeling that void inside. It's because they're not connected truly to what they're running anymore. That's, so it's really- exactly what it is. The the numbers are one thing you got to have. You have to run a healthy business in order to to be in business. It's got to be healthy. So the numbers got to make sense, but it's it's nothing to do with numbers. Like. So my big thing in my business and in anything that I do, 
you gotta care. Like that's the trick to life is, is give a shit. Yeah. Like, like that's literally it. Like the, the, the key to success in life is actually caring. You can't pay people. I have people that start, I, I, I used to, like now, right, like right now in this economy, we start people at $14 an hour that have zero labor, zero ability, zero skills, nothing just to be a warm body. And, and when we have guys making three times that, that work for me full time, 70 hours a week. And I'm like, look at these numbers. I'm like, okay. So it doesn't matter. I can take somebody at the base rate and in three years, get them to the max rate if they care. We sat down and wrote our core values. And our core values are how we hire, fire, promote, reward, train. Everything's got to be within those core values. So when we sat down to write our core values out, it's like, who do who's the best guys that we have? And what is it about them that makes them the best? So then when you, when, you, when you cut the garbage out and you say, you send everybody through the strainer of the core values and say, okay, where is this guy a plus minus or a plus minus a negative? Where, where are these guys lining up within our core values? And then anybody, then you got to hold yourself to a stand. I mean, Tony Robbins says it best. Like you will only get what you set your standards to. People right. want to give you the least amount possible before they get fired. Yep. So can I have that on my job sites? I mean, we, we have the... We, we have, over 800 five-star reviews over the last 15 years. Our next closest competitor has 100, maybe 150 in the last three. So when it comes to doing the right thing for a long period, we blow everybody out of the water. How are we going to continue to do that while growing and sustaining growth? It's insane. Nobody likes to do what we do. Like, I mean, you have to be a little bit crazy. Mm-hmm. Like we work outside 80, 90, 100 degree heat, 50 feet up in the air on scaffold and it's dusty. I mean, there's, there, it's terrible. Yeah. Like, it. So now I have to inspire people to want to do it faster, for harder, for longer. And I'm like, wait a minute here. Like, how am I going to do this? I'm like, okay, so I have to be true. I have to be authentic. I have to be enthusiastic. I have to be bold. I have to try new things and be so sure of it. So I have the, uh, the my true team members, my leadership team, I would do it for them and they would do it for me. They'd lay down on the road in front of a car. Yeah. That we we are so evangelistic about our what our core purpose and our mission is, and our mission is to change the way that contractors and customer relationships take place. That's literally our mission, and how we do that is put everybody through the core values and put everybody through the same set of standards that I would put on my wife, on myself, on my children, on my leadership team, on anybody that we come in, 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 into. Do you meet those? standards that we set and the standards are our core values. It's so beautiful because that's exactly like the the foundation of what I try to bring into the leadership teams that I coach because it becomes so much easier when you all actually have a framework you can step into, believe in, show up in, abide by, but with ease. Right? Like, don't you feel now at this stage? So, tell me about how you're feeling, like this stage of your business. I know you have major goals you're trying to go after next. And you're also now with this new home that you've even gotten for yourself, lining up the lifestyle you envisioned for all this hard work. What is it that you are focused on now? And how do you describe the man you are today? Those are great questions. My vision and where I'm going is is I want to create I want to create millionaires. So I know what it feels like to to make a lot of money. I I, I work. I have a, a ridiculous work ethic that I got from my mom. 
um, that it doesn't matter. Like, and I get upset and I'll just do it myself and ugh, out of grit and anger and I harness the dark side and all that good stuff. But my, my vision is to create impact in other people. Um, and then the, the reason I use a money monetary term is that I've realized that I'm still the same person and no matter where I go, I bring myself with me. So I have to change the way I identify and I hold myself to these standards. So I'll never ask anybody to do something in my company and my family that I wouldn't do myself or that I wasn't willing to do along with them. So the person that I am today is loving, caring, kind, and I'm working on free. So being a a person of recovery, I've been a prisoner of my mind ever since. So before the drugs, before all that, I I was addicted to fantasy. And I would fantasize being about being somebody else and being around, uh, just being different. Um, just like when you fantasize about winning the lottery or something and it transforms you and takes you. Um, so I use those same powers with my visualization. And I, and I have a, a team. Like I, I'm able to, in the middle of the day, take this call with you and have this conversation and not worry about the, the world crumbling down because I have people that I can trust and hold accountable that are going to make the most money that they've ever made and and they have a purpose and they feel and they know that they're that I'm grateful for them and that they're important and I let everybody I know when I see them like I took a habit on long long time ago no matter what I what somebody does for me or I do for them I always thank them for the opportunity always mm-hmm. and that just puts me in a frame of gratitude and the most ultimate form of receivership is gratitude how do I stay there more often? And how do I... People say, well, I want money. And I'm like, no, you don't. You want freedom that you think the money is going to bring you. But it depends on how you use that money if it's going to give you the freedom. I don't care how, what I go buy myself, no matter what I go do. When I donate, that feeling that I get... And, and I always... My wife loves Starbucks. That's her thing. So like, and I just... Every time I go to Starbucks with her, I, I, I pay it forward. So when I do that, I just know the feeling that's going to radiate. So I'm working to be free through generosity. I love that. I think that's an amazing energy exchange that you will create in in everybody you come across. I know I felt it the first time we met. And and it is just so... It's so exciting to just share not only your journey, but the small piece of time with you and um, our listeners. And so I just want to thank you so much for really being raw, real, vulnerable, and honest um, in the way you live your life because it matters and others see it and it energizes them to show up in their greatness every single day when they interact with you. So first, I want to I want to thank you for, for being a part of the show and just sharing yourself. And then I would also love if you want anyone from, you know, my community here to connect with you or you know reach out or if they're in your area and are looking for you know your type of work and want a trusted source how would you like them to connect with you Instagram's probably the easiest you can go on our website um, brickworksmi.com or if you want to connect with me it's uh, under at Jeremiah underscore Campbell great it's the easiest way to get to me on Instagram but I'd love to hear from anybody I mean just it's just from being hopeless to just being abundant, and and that's how I describe myself in one word is 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 I'm just I'm super abundant. Like I, I'm literally like when you said that, like I'm so grateful and thankful. And it starts off like every time I get going and I get like so 
I don't prepare when I get the opportunity to get interviewed or speak or, and I just close my eyes and pray. And it takes a while for God to come into me, the source power to come into me. Cause it's not about me or the platform we're talking on. It's about the people that we can affect by the words that he puts through us. 100%. That's exactly right. And I, I love that you're reminding our listeners of that because when you do take the time to listen and be the conduit, of the amazing abundant life you're meant to have and share with others, so many amazing things happen. So as we close out the show, Jeremiah, I asked this one question of all my listener, of all my guests, sorry, is that how do you define what a badass is? I knew you were going to ask that. And I'm like, don't, don't, don't prepare. Don't so, prepare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, a badass to me is just somebody that will put being afraid of, of things in front of you and just pushing through it anyways. So when I went in every single morning, I face this, this, this person that I used to be the old vision of myself to where I'm going. So like my badass journey may you, some people can look at it from being a heroin addict to being in recovery from, from being poor. Like my wife bought me cigarettes on the way to rehab to being a multimillionaire to like doing and just like me being a badass. And the most thing is like, since I've been in this conversation, I realized I'm, I got to go back to work. I get to go back to work and I'm going to I'm going to bring my 5-year-old with me and like I don't care what I have to go or where I have to do that's being a badass and it's and it's doing the things no matter what my mind tells me. Mm. To me that's what being a true badass is 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 it's my wife getting on a stage and talking to people when she's afraid. It's it's me being able to look somebody in the eyes and tell them how I really feel regardless of our friendship or what our past has, because I know that they need to hear the, the, the hard things that I have to say and saying it from humility and not ego. So it's those small moments that, that make the true, like the, the, it's the small battles of I can't, but then I say, I, I, I will. Most won't, I will. I will do that. I, I'm going to do that. This is the person I'm going to be. Money's never going to be a, a roadblock for me. That to me is the badass. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing a piece of yourself today with us. And until the next episode. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. Before you move on to the next episode, please post a review or share this episode with someone you think would appreciate it. Your feedback and support mean everything to me. For more information, check out yourbadassjourney.com or kareenwalsh.com. I truly believe everyone is capable of living a badass life. Thank you for listening.